Welcome to Made in Science, the official podcast of the University of Stuttgart. My name is Wolfgang Holtkamp. I am Senior Advisor on International Affairs here at the University and your host today. In today's episode, we welcome Dr. Johannes Ziegler, who is CEO of the e-learning platform Mia Plaza and a former student of technical cybernetics at the University of Stuttgart between 1985 and 1992. In 1995, he finished his PhD thesis at the Stanford University Graduate School of Business. Then, after having been a researcher and management consultant, he became the founder of his own company. Hello, Johannes. We are very happy to have you with us today. It's a pleasure to be here today. Johannes, you have uh, founded a company, and actually that's an e-learning platform. Um, what inspired you to create an e-learning platform that actually, I think it's called also a fun learning platform? Why do you think that other e-learning platforms are no fun? Or what was the motivation? I think our example is not untypical for Silicon Valley. We started out with a quite different vision. And of course, I already indicated I was living in Silicon Valley at the time, uh, met the co-founder of LinkedIn at an event and was inspired by the opportunities of social networking of uh, what at that time was Web 2.0. And with friends of mine, we started a platform that initially wasn't even that much about education. It was more about networking, uh, interaction. Uh, we expanded that into interaction for children in a safe and moderated way. And then it evolved into an educational platform. Uh, it evolved because we found that that's what parents are really interested in, uh, what parents would be willing to pay for, which is important. And, uh, and then the team really discovered that we've always been about learning. Uh, we've studied in different con on different continents, uh, different universities, different subjects. And uh, there are so many new opportunities today to present learning that are different. And I think we are more fun than others because we did not start as being a boring textbook company that is then trying to bring their textbook online. But we started at, as a social networking company where there was a lot of interaction, uh, a lot of entertainment, and a lot of fun. And then we improved the educational aspect over the last 10 years. You just mentioned that the parents started to find out about it and they enjoyed it. Now, What about the teachers? Uh, do they also like the platform? Uh, how did they react? Our classic teachers slash customers are actually homeschooling parents. That is typical for the US and uh, not common and actually not even legal in Germany uh, to, to say you educate your children at home. And that's an interesting culture, uh, you could say subculture in the United States. and. Also in other countries, but the United States clearly is the center of the, the movement. And uh, these are parents who, for various reasons, it started initially a lot for religious or worldview reasons, and then it expanded into many other reasons. 
decide that they actually want to school their children at home. And uh, I would say in some cases it works wonderfully in others less so. But what we provide is a platform that makes it possible and easy for parents to do that because the, the content is taught in an engaging way. It's all there. They don't have to put their own curriculum together. And, and then we all, are also discovered by teachers. Uh, and that is like the latest where more and more teachers say, when I show your videos and you're teaching in our classroom, kids are more engaged, more involved than if I use some other uh, platforms content. Uh, so, so we're slowly also uh, having more teachers uh, finding our content, but homeschooling is our bread and butter business. So to summarize, you have the technology is ready and it's fun. The parents like it. It's great. The teachers are more and more getting into this. What about the final target group? The pupils, are they ready for this kind of schooling? There are a lot of other companies who make them ready. Uh, kids, as, as you know, are online at an early age, uh, sometimes legally, sometimes illegally, illegally in the sense that uh, supposedly there are many platforms where you have to be 13 in the United States, at least. Uh, many kids are there much younger. And uh, so they are used to living in this world, uh, a huge world that kids are used to living in, of course, is the online gaming world. Uh, not only kids, but certainly kids. And uh, and so when they come to our world where they level up by doing educational work, uh, where they interact, where they sell each other things for virtual money, of course, they create and sell virtual goods. They create videos. Uh, they write in the newspaper. Uh, it's not so new for them. Uh, it's the world that they live in. And, and what they like is that it's that this is at the same time the school. So uh, they they don't have this kind of a dichotomy between the engaging online world uh, that they live in every day and then the boring school that <laughs> may not be so engaging. How is the platform organized, if I may ask? And do you know which subjects are best suited for your platform or doesn't it matter? Is it uh, one fits all? The aspiration is to offer every subject. And uh, we need to do that because we also have an offering where we actually hand out the high school diploma. So we, we have to cover everything. And in that offering, there's also teacher interaction. And I think there are clearly some that work better and others not so easily. Uh, what works well are subjects like mathematics, uh, social studies, Uh, what may be a bit harder already is English language arts because you need to have feedback if your writing is good or bad. And, and uh, while we are looking into artificial intelligence offerings to give you feedback, uh, that is still not at the level that a teacher could do. So we do rely a bit on the parent uh, or another life teacher. Uh, it also is a bit harder to do subjects like science, science labs. I think there is a difference if uh, you put your uh, solution together in the chemistry lab and something happens uh, physically or chemically uh, compared to you have an online experiment. Uh, but there are ways to make do and, and suggest activities for kids. 
Uh, and uh, we even uh, offer music, art, and uh, PE, physical education, uh, sports, exercise. Uh, that again is a bit harder, but at least we can be motivational and uh, give instructions. You mentioned the business um, aspect of it uh, as well. Mia Plaza started as a free of charge platform in 2006, but has since then charged to a pay for platform. Uh, what are the reasons uh, for that? There are fundamentally two business models, uh, or three if you take uh, the nonprofit model. So we are not a nonprofit, uh, so we have to somehow earn revenues. Uh, the two models are either it's advertising based, which is with the Facebook, Snapchat, etc. model, uh, and the other one is subscription based. Uh, advertising is very problematic when it comes to a children's based platform. Uh, <clears throat> while it's not impossible, we think the, the downsides are huge. It needs to be controlled closely. Uh, we even did an experiment when we started with a platform for girls and got uh, at a very early age when it was free, uh, tried to see what kind of advertisement we would get. And uh, I can tell you, it is not the advertisement you want to show to young children uh, if the algorithm picks up on the word girls. So uh, there is there's a lot of reasons why advertising doesn't work. And so subscription is now the way to go. It's also common in the world of homeschooling and schooling in general that uh, parents pay for their offering on a monthly basis. So after the educational aspect and the technical aspect and also the business aspect, um, you have also introduced gendered platforms. Um, has there been an increase in the use of mixed gender platforms? Uh, there, there are the mixed form. Uh, I think you have two of those. Um, and there are gendered ones. There are also two of those. Uh, would you share some of uh, that experience with us, please? It was an interesting experience. And again, like the entire company, uh, this was not based on a master plan that we figured out ahead of time. It actually started when we noticed that our initial fun social networking platform was mostly used by girls, including school girls. And so that's why the first platform uh, with a fun name, Always Ice Cream, was for girls only. Uh, soon then the parents asked, so what about our sons and our boys? And so we, we created the boys-only platform. Uh, we then realized that really the, the largest market and the general market in the academic field is mixed gender. So we started Me Academy, which is mixed gender. What we noticed was the following. Uh, when it comes to actual interaction on the platform, uh, for especially for the younger kids where we offer that, uh, the gender-separated platforms have a higher level of interaction. And it just shows that on average, it seems like, uh, especially young, young girls seem to be a bit more comfortable. Uh, chatting and exchanging their artwork on a platform where there are no boys interrupting their peaceful life. And uh, not to say that it's always peaceful, but uh, it's a different type of interaction. Uh, similar for the boys, we also notice that the games played tend to be a bit different. But uh, overall, our biggest uh, 
platform has become the mixed gender one and it's the one that has the academic orientation in their name uh, which makes it also a little bit easier to advertise for and uh, it is not the dominating platform but we found it interesting to have this offering and we think that uh, as long as kids benefit from it it's great by the way there are other countries like the uk where you have a lot of schools um, that are actually gender separated uh, to this day so it's not such a crazy idea to begin with and on the uh, the latest development, I think, is called Mia Prep, which uh, uh, targets at uh, high school uh, uh, kids. And uh, so that is also a mixed academy or a mixed uh, uh, platform? That is correct. Yes, that is mixed. Mm -hmm. And do you have any um, experiences from that age group already? Yeah. So the the basic experience is that it works very well this interaction focused platform uh totally works for high schoolers uh the other experience is that it is quite expensive to develop all the content so now we have to create all the content uh for high school which in the united states is four grade levels and i would say the total cost to create the content for those four grade levels is probably roughly the same that the total cost of the kindergarten through eighth grade, like nine grade levels cost is. Uh, so uh, it is a lot of effort, but it's also a lot of fun. And it is fun and meaningful for everybody involved because this is where you can start teaching about science, uh, about history, about the, the value and the fragility of democracy. Uh, where you can introduce different cultures. So um, we are all enjoying it. We're having a good time. Uh, we're just noticing that it's also a huge investment. Mentioning the investment, did you have this structured growth in mind when you started with this particular approach? Um, that, you know, first there was this kind of platform, then another one uh, for the boys, then there was one that uh, came to the mixed platform, then a more specialized one for the high school kids. Um, was this uh, a plan or not? I think you just said, well, we didn't have that kind of master plan, but, uh, but perhaps now you have. I think now we we think we have a plan. Uh, the reality of the past has been that our biggest successes never came by following a master plan, by following where where the customers lead us uh, and uh, what works in the marketplace. So so initially, it definitely was not this grand master plan to uh, build the platforms this way. Uh, now we believe that. With this content, there will be many different ways of delivering the content, like having a version that works particularly well for teachers in classroom, for example, uh, having another version where uh, parents can choose individual subjects, like say, for example, they want to uh, strengthen their math in the summer months uh, that they could take a course with us. So, so there are many plans that we have now uh, but given the track record, maybe in a few years, we're going to do something totally different. Do you see technology overall evolving in the classroom? Because uh, from the last years of the pandemic, we certainly saw a growth 
uh, of uh, technology uh, in use uh, at home and uh, from the teacher's side. And I can only imagine that your platforms were uh, already very well prepared uh, for this uh, kind of challenge uh, that so many of us went through. So the how far will that grow? Uh, and if it grows, uh, do you think there is a difference between the United States and Germany uh, in that regard as well? Yeah, these are two important questions. I believe it will grow big time because at least until before the pandemic, at the core, the school was run in a way in both the United States and Germany that is very similar to how it was run when I was in school, which was still fairly similar to how it was run when my parents or grandparents were at school. Um, while technology overall has evolved dramatically, uh, the pandemic br brought a big change. Um, and because the schools were not prepared by and large, uh, it also uh, created a lot of difficulties. I think The technology will create a huge amount of change. The technology offers opportunities for truly individualized learning. Uh, it also opens the opportunity for learning for kids who have learning disabilities, who uh, need a different approach in some areas, need support for accessibility, um, maybe are particularly fast in some areas and slow in other areas. Uh, technology will in the long run, I'm sure also bring experience through uh, augmented reality and uh, any kind of virtual reality platform. So I expect over the next 10, 20 years to be a huge change. And I expect that this will start in countries like the United States and that there will be some resistance in Germany uh, to change uh, and to bring in new technology. Uh, Germany is, uh, unfortunately, I would say from a tech entrepreneur perspective, known to be filled with the, the Bedenkenträgers, uh, who <laughs> may be a bit slow in adoption, uh, but I think eventually it'll come uh, throughout the world. So leaving all these concerns behind that are certainly there, uh, it is often said, I think, and I can agree on that, um, that uh, Germany is not quite living up to the uh, potential of digitization uh, that uh, uh, is available and uh, and that needs a longer you know uh, testing uh, here than perhaps in other parts of the world but that we now that you covered the high school kids do you think that the adults will be the next ones uh, we hear a lot about lifelong learning and uh, i could imagine that uh, a platform like yours would also serve that particular group very well. I agree. This is clearly also coming to the world of grown-up learning. The logic of being able to quickly, quickly in the sense that you don't have to go through a degree program, uh, to quickly learn a new subject and that is either interesting for you personally or Uh, that can help you in your profession. Uh, that is so obvious um, that this is uh, that this will come. It is already growing. There are a lot of startups uh, that teach uh, grown-ups in either the professional avenue or in the personal realm. Uh, so I think there's no question that this will become a part of life. 
the question, of course, is will everybody take advantage of it? And maybe not. And that could be yet another case uh, of the digital divide where those who are comfortable taking advantage of those opportunities will keep uh, growing professionally and uh, becoming more successful. And those who do not really relate to this type of learning could be falling behind. Johannes, how much from your former life has come with you to the company Mia Plaza that you founded? You were a student. You were an exchange student abroad. You were and are an engineer. You are a founder and a member of a board of a company. How do, how do you see all of these different experiences bundled up in what you do right now? This is an interesting question because I think I can only do what I'm doing because I've had so many different experiences in my life that helped me gain different perspectives and uh, helped me think through things in a new way, uh, not always take the beaten path. In general, I think the strongest impact was to see different cultures, to see that people can live in different ways, think in different ways, have different religions and worldviews and a uh, different approach to education. With all that, it makes it easier to step back and not just uh, repeat what everybody is doing, uh, but try to find new ways, uh, be innovative, and uh, also have a bigger understanding why certain things don't work for certain groups uh, and uh, how we can make adjustments. Um, I would say this is certainly something I'm very thankful for. I'm also thankful for Stuttgart University, where I had the opportunity to take more than a year as an exchange student in China. And uh, that was at a time when uh, China was not that developed compared to where it is now. And uh, th this was maybe the most extreme uh, immersion in a new culture, in a new way of life that uh, really opened my eyes to, to see that there are very different ways of living. And you were there. Uh, for real. Now, you are, however, in a world that is uh, virtual as well. And uh, and those who, um, well, enter that world uh, see a different world and a different and may have a different experience. Um, can you negotiate any of the, the pluses or the minuses uh, for both experiences? Uh, you said you were for a year Uh, an exchange student abroad. Today, often, uh, people go to be virtual in the digital world. Um, they might not want to go anymore. What do you think? Um, the pluses and the minuses? At this point, I still think it's a deeper and stronger experience to really go somewhere physically because there are those many aspects of daily life uh, who you s see and meet on the streets, Uh, what you find in the shops, what you eat, how the air smells and how the noise of the traffic is, uh, that you only experience if you actually go to a different place. Uh, similarly, of course, when it comes to language immersion, uh, being in a different place is a huge value. But I understand that not everybody can do that. Not everybody wants to do that. Uh, it is a privilege if somebody has the opportunity 
for this. And I believe there's a lot you can do at home, either by having online friends who are from a different culture and engaging with online friends, uh, or a step up would be to actually have physical friends who are from a, a real world friends who are from a different culture, uh, which is certainly in, possible in Germany with all those uh, people from everywhere in the world uh, being in Germany. Uh, same, of course, is true in the United States. Uh, it's more a mindset of openness to ex expose yourself to different worlds, different cultures uh, that is behind this. Um, and if you can actually go somewhere physically, I think that's just a, a plus. Now, physically, you were also at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Uh, anything that you would like to share from those years with us? It was a crazy time because I happened to come just at the beginning of the dot-com boom and bubble. And uh, bubble, of course, sounds so negative, but... Let's not forget that it did start the internet, which is what we're using to talk right now, <laughs> which is what we're using all the time. So it was it was more than a bubble. And uh, it was a time with a lot of enthusiasm, which I believe is a level of enthusiasm that is probably typical for California, having gone through the gold rush, having gone through the silicon part of Silicon Valley just a few decades before where uh, the semiconductor industry started and opened up a whole new world. And, uh, and then it was the internet that became big in Silicon Valley. And it was just the, right there. Stanford was at the center of it. Um, it was fun to just meet people who were in the middle of it. So when I met a former colleague I had worked together uh, with uh, at a McKinsey project who then became a consultant in a company I had founded, um, she mentioned that her boyfriend happened to be Jerry Yang, who at that time had started Yahoo, which of course now is not a big company anymore, but it, it was actually one of the trailblazers and pioneers. Uh, at some point, a market cap of more than $100 billion. And it was fascinating to see the opportunities and the, the ups and downs of a new world emerging setting where you were was important for what you would do later uh can you imagine if this had been at another university at another uh place in the united states uh or somewhere else in in the world you would have gone another way or in your mind it was quite clear uh also coming from your background of course uh, uh from your study field of uh cybernetics uh that you that this would be the way to go the digital world no it wasn't clear When I came to Stanford, I didn't even have an email address before. So my stanford.edu email address was the first one I ever had. Uh, so not even at McKinsey, where I used to work before, did we have email at the time. It was a new world. And I don't think at that time I would have been open to starting a company in the digital world or Maybe not even starting a company in the first place. Uh, my family does not come from an entrepreneurial background where people have been starting companies. And uh, I think I only did it because everybody around me at Stanford <laughs> did so too. It certainly had an impact. Uh, and there was this euphoria that 
that uh, also impacted me, I'm sure, with those new opportunities. And as I mentioned, the start of my current company was inspired by meeting one of the founders of LinkedIn, who had just started the company with a team of other founders not long before. And I found that very inspiring. So I think the place made a big difference for me. I would have gone a different path otherwise. Maybe I would have stayed in academia. Not the worst of options, for sure. It's not the worst. It's not the worst, I, I, I want to say. Uh, and uh, many people say, hey, you you should have become a professor because I like education. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, I'm still an educator, just in a very different way. When you talked about how important the uh, real experience is uh, for going abroad, and when you think about uh, U.S. students who would like to come, say, to the University of Stuttgart, for that matter, uh, or to Germany, um, what would it take in th these days, in our particular decade, uh, for them to find this attractive? I think the biggest piece of attractiveness of Stuttgart and any other city in Germany, for that matter, is that it is at the heart of Europe. Uh, for Americans, it is unbelievable that you can sit in the train for a couple hours being in being a different country. Uh, it's, uh, it's probably less than four hours to Paris from Stuttgart or something like that if you take a fast train. And, uh, and then, of course, all the, all the other wonderful cities you can reach. Uh, positioning it not as the town that uh, has a history in automotive and has a nice university, but being part of this cultural experience of Europe. And I think that will be very attractive for a lot of students. I can certainly testify on that. I have visited American friends uh, in uh, a neighboring European country recently. And one of the first questions was, uh, you know, how was the train ride uh, and how was what happened at borders? And I said, what do you mean? You know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so definitely a, a good point here. Um, Johannes, where do you see the business going in the future? Um, will there be, will we be going uh, in a very, very fast way towards a digital world? Will people be more and more tied to the digital work experience? Or do you think we will establish a combination, a hybrid form uh, of uh, uh, the digital and, uh, and our, well, real world of work uh what do you think how is this uh, what momentum uh, are we are we in right now and how will this develop i'm more of a believer in the hybrid model than in this total immersion and digital only for the vast majority of professions the digital world will keep growing and will keep uh Developing new tools, uh, there's this whole field of artificial intelligence, for example, where I believe tools from AI will become relevant in any profession. Uh, in our area, it is already very relevant when it comes to finding customers, actually. Uh, it's mostly AI-driven algorithms who uh, suggest our product to customers, uh, and very successfully so. But 
it doesn't replace the real world of uh, cre human creativity, of um, human interaction. So the tools will become more powerful, but I don't see a replacement or a complete immersion in the digital world anytime soon. And what better preparation can it be than starting already school in that kind of uh, virtual environment like uh, you offer it uh, as well? Um, are we ready for gaming? Are we ready for games? Uh, in other words, I read so much about uh, that uh, The, that we are in a world uh, that relies heavily on uh, rules that uh, can be exercised uh, in games. Um, is life a game? That is a, a great way to put the question. I believe that the boundaries between games and the gaming world and the real world is becoming less clear in many areas. Uh, Like in my own family, some of my own kids have learned a lot of their skills in gaming, actually, in online gaming. It is uh, a world with interactions, with uh, victories and defeats, uh, with strategies uh, that have to be developed, creativity being expressed. Uh, so this world is becoming part of real life experience. Uh, Is life a game? I think this is not a very philosophical question. That is probably beyond beyond uh, of uh, the background that I have to answer. Johannes, at the end of our conversation, uh, we have something that is called Moment Seven. collected seven questions that we would like to ask you. Please answer them as shortly as possible. Moment one. Spätzle or Maultaschen? Maultaschen. Moment two. One thing you could change about the world would be? Intercultural experiences, making them the norm and not the exception. Moment three. Do you have a book recommendation for us? If you're into management, the good old classic of high output management by Andy Grove, the founder of Intel, written 40 years ago, still is the best. Moment four. The best advice that you have ever received was? Travel and get to know the world. This was actually given by a pedagogy professor to my mom. And she let me travel, which was wonderful. Moment five. The favorite place on campus at the University of Stuttgart for you? It is the cafeteria. I think it's building seven in Feingen because that's where I met my wife. Moment six. If I could start all over again, I would do the following differently. I would keep my connections with wonderful people that I met along my path longer and more deliberately. And moment seven. Please complete the sentence. The best thing about Stuttgart is... That it's home. Thank you, Johannes, for our conversation. Most of all, we wish you and everybody around you all the very best for your upcoming projects. 
If you would like to rate this podcast, please feel free to do so. And most of all, please stay healthy, stay good, and stay tuned for our conversations that are always based on what is made in science.